Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to Episode 9. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. So, Memorial Day weekend is over. And damn, that went by fast, right? Well, I hope you enjoyed it. I definitely did. I spent it up in the mountains with my family. We roasted a pig. We took the kids up a mountain. Drank some good whiskey, listened to some good music. Spent some time with good friends. And I drove a hell of a lot. My older boy got to ride in a canoe for the first time. My baby boy enjoyed his very first campfire. We all got devoured by mosquitoes and came home with the bites to prove it. And we ate way too much ice cream. Yep, I enjoyed it. And I hope you did too. And if you didn't, it's over now. So let's put it behind you and drive on. Because summer is here now. And shit's about to get real, America. Bob Mueller did a press conference. Emerging from the shadows and the depths of legal legend, the man himself finally spoke to America. After years of people speaking for him, speculating about what he's thinking and about what he's doing, he spoke for himself. He sounded older than I expected, but I gotta imagine he's damn tired. This process has been hard on all of us. It's been hard for our American experiment. I gotta imagine it's been hard on him personally, and it showed. But so did his true colors. He's a patriot, and he's a Marine. And in a moment like this, I was glad the guy chosen for this sacred and historic job was a decorated combat leader. He was no bullshit. He was straightforward. He was unromantic. It was refreshingly boring. There were no dramatic flourishes, no fireworks, no stagecraft. Just an old Marine delivering his report. An old Marine accomplishing his mission. And an old Marine delivering a message that had not yet been fully received and objectively had not been fully communicated. Yes, he delivered his report. But it's 2019 and nobody reads anything anymore. We wanted video. And today, we got it. This is a statement he should have made when he dropped the report. Instead, we got Barr and Trump and the media chatter class spinning and twisting it. But better late than never. He delivered a statement, didn't take questions, said there would be no interviews, no testimony, no flashy book deal. This was it. This was the report. This was America's assignment, delivered on time, with respectable precision. And it should serve to underscore the fragility of this moment in history. He was clear, and his message was clear. Read the damn report. It's all there. Two highlights that will echo forever in the pages of history are what he highlighted. Number one, he reiterated that under his assigned mandate, he couldn't charge the president with a crime. That doesn't mean one didn't occur. He was clear in saying that definitively he couldn't charge the president with a crime. And two, by the way, our elections were attacked, yeah, by a foreign nation, to influence the outcome in favor of one candidate and against another. But it happened. It happened. A foreign nation attacked our elections, our democracy, our founding principles of one man, one vote. In my view, it's an act of war. Wars have certainly been fought over much less. So both one and two are a very big deal. And the message is clear. Everything's in the report. Read the report. Over to you, America. I did my job. Now do yours. I'm out. I believe this all along, that the report itself is a bombshell. And even more so, 
It's a massive line of breadcrumb trails that must be pursued in the interest of our national security by Congress. And we, as Americans, regardless of party, must make sure that Congress does that. Bob Mueller looked America in the eye and said clearly, hey, it's gut check time. And from the look in his eyes, he's worried. And he should be. Our country's in distress. The next few months will determine the trajectory of our nation for generations to come. Do we focus, unite, and act? Or do we ignore, divide, and falter? Shit's getting real. And it's not just the Mueller report. Because of what the report describes as happening, the Russian intervention in our election that may or may not have resulted in the most radical and destructive presidency in our lifetime, maybe in history, many other dominoes have fallen and continue to fall daily. Missouri is close to banning abortion statewide. Trump is lobbing insults at Joe Biden from overseas in Japan after playing golf and judging a sumo wrestling match. It's been over one year now since the Pentagon did a press briefing. One year? The first Democratic primary debate is about one month away. The NBA Finals has a Canadian team in it. Game of Thrones is over and the finale stunk. And Pizza Hut is changing its pan pizza recipe for the first time after 40 years. Yep, things are getting real. So strap in for a wild summer. And I hope this show will get you through it. No matter what wild shit happens in America, the team at Angry Americans and I will do our best to bring us together a bit, to find ways to stick together, to keep you educated and engaged. Our country is definitely facing some difficult waters, and in every episode, I promise to bring you four things to help guide you through it. Four things that I think if you look hard, are also embraced and embodied by the stoic leadership of Bob Mueller. Integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. My guest also embodies those four eyes. She's not someone you'll see in Hollywood. She's someone whose name you may not recognize. But after this interview, she's somebody you'll never forget. She's a survivor, a poet, a warrior for peace, a truth teller, a conscience, a de Tocqueville for our times, an angry American who didn't start out American, like many of our greatest Americans, an angry American that is a mirror for our country and an azimuth for our future. Raised in Baghdad, Iraq, Zainab Salbi grew up as a little girl calling Saddam Hussein her uncle. Her father was Saddam Hussein's private pilot, and from an early age, Zainab was thrust into the small and twisted circle of the notorious dictator. She takes us inside that bizarre world and shares how she survived it and escaped war, brutality, and abuse to emerge as a true American immigration success story. She ended up in Chicago at age 19, arranged to be married to a guy she never met. She escaped an abusive marriage with only 400 bucks in her pocket and would go from working in a Hallmark store in Chicago to founding a global nonprofit for women to receiving honors from the President of the United States at the White House. She's now a best-selling author and one of the most powerful Muslim-American voices in media and in politics. It's a harrowing, inspiring, and thought-provoking conversation with another iconic, important, or inspiring American that's shaping what our country is and what it will be in the future. It's the kind of interview that's defining angry Americans. And before it, I've got a rant on a topic that's got me dialed up. It's got me angry, and I think should have everyone angry. And after the interview, stick around for an important angry action. America's great test is here, and I've got some homework for you to do. Some test prep to help you succeed, and to help us all succeed. And in this episode, we're going to break it down. 
America's facing hard times. We need to have some hard conversations. So let's get after it. Welcome to Angry Americans, Episode 9. There's no shortage of things to be angry about in America right now. When I started this show, I knew there were plenty of things I wanted to dig into. But now that the show is rolling, I found about five topics every day I could dig into. Then, I get your tweets and your notes on social media, and I see about five more. But at least for now, this show is only weekly. So every week, I've got to pick just one. Now, piling on top of how much the last season of Game of Thrones sucked would be too easy. But I will take this moment to share that Game of Thrones is now officially no longer my top show of all time. It was, going into this season. It was my all-time favorite. Every episode was better than most movies. But this season, it crumbled like the Milwaukee Bucks did against Toronto last week. Game of Thrones will now forever be the show that was up big and totally blew it in the fourth quarter. It will forever be the Atlanta Falcons of TV shows. It's now fallen down three places on my list. It dropped two huge places to number three overall. Behind the defending champion and greatest TV show of all time, Breaking Bad. It's just a perfect show. Followed closely at number two by The Wire. Genius. And now, sadly, Game of Thrones is at three. But like I said, piling in Game of Thrones is too easy. And we've got bigger fish to fry. That's just a damn TV show. You're already on to watching Billions or Walking Dead and Black Mirror will be back soon. Or maybe you're watching Barry. Does anyone actually watch Barry? I know it's good. But after Game of Thrones, field passes to the Super Bowl would seem kind of like a letdown. So maybe we can all just get outside this summer. Cut the damn cord, step away from your screen, and put your angry fists up in the air. Besides, we've got some real existential threats to our way of life. Our democracy, our future, and our freedoms. We need to get involved or at least enjoy our final days before the end is here. Or the latest crazy natural disaster rips through our house. Did you see there are now tornadoes ripping across America? Floods, fires, hurricanes, all bad enough. Now we've got tornadoes in places like Ohio and New York City. What the fuck? Outside of the potential to sweep up all the electric scooters and telemarketers, that shit's terrifying. So get out this summer, while you still can before hurricane season starts again and creates destruction in places like Florida, North Carolina, and Alaska, because that's our new normal. But I do have one issue that I do want to tear into. And this one, this is an issue that's got me angry, and I think should have everyone angry. Senators Mitch McConnell and Tim Kaine have a stupid idea that is truly bipartisan, and probably corrupt. Now, it's easy nowadays in Washington to find legislation that's stupid, and or regressive. The Senate in particular seems focused on dragging America back a few hundred years. These are the same primates that brought you the trans ban, ignored Puerto Rico, and are now trying to push women's health care and access to reproductive medicine back to the dark ages and make Handmaid's Tale nonfiction. They're trying to redefine marriage. They're trying to redefine gender. They're trying to redefine life. But they also seem to want to redefine what it means to be an adult. This month, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell introduced legislation to raise the age for buying tobacco to 21. Several leading public health groups, including the American Lung Association and the American Academy of Pediatrics, came out in cautious support, 
applauding the McConnell measure, but urging lawmakers not to add carve-outs or special provisions for the industry. Most of the anti-tobacco groups favor raising the age, but want other steps to curb tobacco use, particularly among youth. And McConnell has said he will make this bill one of his highest priorities. Several House lawmakers are now packing the new anti-smoking measure, too. And don't worry. Mitch McConnell didn't suddenly have a conscience implant over Memorial Day holiday. He's still the same guy. Remember, he hails from a top tobacco-producing state. And it should be no surprise to you that he's gotten over $160,000 in contributions from Altria, a major cigarette manufacturer. McConnell said he was spurred by an unprecedented spike in the number of teenagers who were vaping or smoking e-cigarettes. Sure he was. So, no legislation to end America's forever wars. No legislation to curb suicide for veterans. No infrastructure bill. No passing the legislation to support 9-11 first responders. Yeah, that's still not done yet. But vaping, that's one Mitch McConnell has made one of his top priorities. Now, McConnell's announcement was met with praise by the tobacco giants who say they support the age increase. They say by raising the minimum age to 21, no high school students will be able to purchase tobacco products legally, adding another hurdle to help reduce social access. That's what Altria said in the press statement. Big surprise. Now, in general, my patriotic instincts tell me I should be against anything Altria is for. Like, same for Putin. But 14 states have already raised the minimum purchasing age to 21, with so-called Tobacco 21 laws. As of this recording, 14 states. Arkansas, California, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Oregon, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, and Washington have all raised the tobacco age to 21, along with 470 localities, including New York City, Chicago, San Antonio, Boston, Cleveland, both Kansas cities, and Washington, D.C. Some of the localities are in states that subsequently enacted the statewide laws. Now, the strength of state and local laws, such as enforcement and penalties, vary hugely. Those are 14 states that apparently mean well, but maybe hate freedom and love massive policy inconsistencies. Yet some members of the anti-smoking community are skeptical about what's really going on. Some are concerned that tobacco companies are attempting to include special interest provisions that would hinder protections for kids. Some say tobacco companies have worked to include state provisions that limit the regulation of tobacco products, including flavored tobacco products. Now, some worry that tobacco companies are trying to co-opt a movement to protect kids. See, they get in front of it by introducing bad legislation that preempts good legislation to make it look like they're supporting a pro-health situation. So, provisions backed by tobacco companies can criminalize youth for buying tobacco products instead of retailers that sell them the products. It's like punishing the lower enlisted soldiers at Abu Ghraib while the generals and the secretary of defense get off scot-free. Now, McConnell's home state, Kentucky, has one of the highest cancer mortality rates in the country. That's according to the CDC. Along with West Virginia, Kentucky also has the highest rate of deaths linked to smoking. Now, the senator says the bill will uphold the current system, which makes retailers responsible for verifying the age of anyone who buys tobacco. But the message will not have an exemption for members of the military, something the anti-tobacco groups have urged Congress not to offer. Now look, I support measures to stop smoking, especially for kids. But my issue is different, and I think bigger. My issue is the fact that we do not have a single standard in America for adulthood. What's the age that makes you an adult in America? Is it 18 or is it 21? Think about it. At 18, you can vote. At 18, you can go to jail as an adult. You can gamble. You can get a tattoo or a piercing. You can donate blood. You can get married. 
You can buy spray paint, fireworks, and adult videos. You can serve on a jury and decide that someone will get the death penalty. At 18, you can get the death penalty. At 18, you can buy a gun. In some states, you can buy a gun at 16 or even 14. Not even 18. But at 18, you can join the military and fight and die for your country. You can do all these things at 18. But if Mitch McConnell has his way, when you're overseas dodging Taliban bullets, you can't have a cigarette. Or a dip. That means chewing tobacco for folks who don't know. So now, you can go and fight and die for your country. You can have your leg blown off and come home and find out that although your country trusts you with laser-guided missiles, that same country doesn't trust you with a Marlboro, or a Jewel, or a can of Copenhagen. You also, of course, can't have a drink when you get home. Now, if you ask many service members, especially in infantry units like the one I was in, if forced to choose between food and Copenhagen, most would probably choose the black fuel injection of Copenhagen. In a war zone, tobacco is sometimes all you got. There's no alcohol, there's no sex, especially in the Middle East. It's not like some scene from Full Metal Jacket or another Vietnam movie. There's no sex, there's no alcohol, and soon, maybe, no tobacco. So if you take away their tobacco, it ain't going to be pretty. If this legislation goes forward, Mitch McConnell will be less popular in the military than Jane Fonda. Now, look, I've smoked. There was a time in my life when I smoked a pack a day. When I was in Iraq, my guys used to joke that they could tell how rough our mission would be by how many cigarettes I smoked. But I quit. I quit by chewing tobacco. And on occasion, I still enjoy a good chew. Levi Garrett is my brand of choice. But that shit's gross. No doubt about it. No, Nobody digs spitters in your car cup holders. And it's not the kind of thing that helps you get the ladies. But I'm older now. And that's not my focus. It keeps me awake on a long drive. And sometimes if I'm on a hike or playing golf, I chew. I know, it ain't sexy. But I'm a grown-ass man. And if I want to partake in tobacco, this is America, and I should be free to do that. America's finally starting to stop the ridiculous ban on marijuana. Finally. But it's like one step forward, one step back. Life in America is complicated enough. We have to remember all our passwords. We have to watch out for electric scooters. We have to now, apparently, be wary of UFOs. We should have one uniform standard for legal adulthood. And 18? Sounds good to me. So Mitch McConnell and Tim Kaine, please go find something else to do. Go read the Mueller report again and do something about it. Go end our forever wars. Go clean up the VA. Go make the Pentagon have a freaking press conference. Go write the next great show for HBO. Go fix the Lakers and the Knicks and maybe the NFL's stupid overtime system while you're at it. But let adults make adult decisions, whether they serve in uniform or not. Let 18-year-olds make decisions. Because you all are old as hell. And they're going to be running shit pretty soon. Let adults be adults. I know it's a rare thing in Washington, but it shouldn't be rare in the rest of America. So that's an issue that's got me angry right now. And I think should have everyone angry. What do you think? Sound off on Twitter using the hashtag AngryAmericans. Go to the Angry Americans Facebook page now and let me know. Or if you're boycotting social media because these platforms are run by evil corporations that are monopolistic and only want to sell your data to the pharmaceutical industry or let the Russians micro-target you, I feel you. So if social media is not your jam, you can just write me a letter. Alarm. The willies. The heebie-jeebies. Panic. There are dozens of words for fear. But just one 
for an exceptional home security system to stop fear at your front door. Simply Safe. Simply Safe is home security that knows it feels good to fear less. Simply Safe is an award-winning 24/7 protection that protects your home through all of it. Blizzards, blackouts, and burglars. It's won top awards from all the tech experts that you can count. The Verge calls it the best home security. It won the Reader's Choice from PC Magazine. It's a two-time winner of the CNET Editor's Choice Award and a Wirecutter top pick. Simply Safe has no contract, no hidden fees, and no gotchas. I got a system sent to me recently, and I was really impressed. It's so smooth, it's simple, and as an infantry officer myself, I dig security. And thanks to Simply Safe, fear has no place in a place like home. So try Simply Safe with free shipping and free returns. You get a 60-day risk-free trial too. Order now and have your home protected within a week. Just go to simplysave.com/angryamericans to get started today. That's simplysave.com/angryamericans. Be sure to go there so they know we sent you. simplysave.com/angryamericans. I am absolutely thrilled and humbled to have here today um, a friend, a mentor, a hero of mine. I mean it. You really are. You're 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 a powerful inspiration for me, and I think for people around the world. And um, part of why I wanted to create a podcast was so that I could kind of talk to my super friends network. And I feel like you are like. The cap, one of the captains of the Avengers of this Super Friends Network, Zainab Salvi, you are you are a force for good in the world, and I'm very very thankful to have you as my friend, and I'm so happy you could join me today on Angry Americans. Well, the pleasure is mine, and I want to start with uh, there's a Native American uh, philosophy that we are all mirrors of each other. So they are the clear mirrors where people like when you meet them, they energize you, they bring the best in you, all of that. And they are the shady mirror, which people are like, you know, irritates you. And they're the no mirror people you don't pay attention even like they exist. And the whole idea is that they are everyone you meet is a mirror of you. So if you like someone, it's because they're bringing the best in you. And if you don't like someone, it's because they're bringing the worst in you, right? So it's like it's putting it back on us. So anyway, all of this to say is that you are a clear mirror to me. You bring the best. And when I see you, I get energetic and excited and committed and inspired. And so not only the feeling is mutual, it's a clear mirror, brother. Oh, thank you. I was hoping you didn't say the weird mirror or like the funhouse mirror. <laughs> yeah, right? I was like, well, actually, you are really the shady mirror. Really. <laughs> but and and think, one of the things I, I did a retreat on that and you please. had to confront the shady mirror people. Oh. And that's the whole idea is that you tell someone you're a shady mirror. You irritate me like this. And I learned this about myself. Mm. As a result. So who would be your shady mirror? Would it be Donald Trump or like who would be? I think Donald Tom, Trump is a lot of our, I mean, he's not only my shady mirror, a lot of our shady mirrors. And so the question becomes, where's the Trump in you and us? Mm, like ah. where's the Trump in me? And where's the Trump in, in you or you or you or anybody else? And that's the whole idea is what's part of him that is uh, irritating you and, and, be, and look for that part of you. Wow. There's so many parts of him that irritate me. (laughs) (laughs) If I had to take it all in, I'd be 500 pounds of of pieces of irritation, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, But part of why I wanted, and we're again at the Manhattan Classic Car Club in New York City. 
Um, you, in my view, Zainab, are you're a very dear friend, and I consider you like extended family to me. But I think you're also one of the most powerful and important leaders, not just in America, but in the world right now. That's very kind and, of and, you. And, and you've also been on Oprah more than anybody I know, maybe more than anyone, period. No, that's no? not true. How many no. times have you been on Oprah? Ten and one on Super Soul. Ten on the show and one uh, on Super Soul. But there are people who have been a lot more. That's a lot. Dr. Dr. Phil, Phil, for example. Okay, so there's like Dr. Phil. And then Amanda there's... Dawes, okay, you know, Dr. Susie Oz, And the lady running for president, Marianne Williamson, right? Is, is Marianne running, Williamson. She's running yeah. for president. She is. Right? Exactly, exactly. Um, no, so there are lots of people who have been on Oprah. But she's, 10 and 1, it's, you're almost at a dozen. Do you get like a special Oprah prize when you hit 12 or when you hit 20? Do you get like a ring or some kind of a like... A, a, an award when you hit a certain number? No, but I tell you, I'm extremely grateful for her because it's not only getting on her show. It is every time. I mean, when I, when I was running Women for Women International, I got that's the 10 times on the show. We would raise between two to five million dollars in 24 hours. From one just appearance. One appearance just because wow. when she says every woman should support a woman through Women for Women International, it's like, Oh my God, like we literally raised, the, one time we raised $5 million in 24 hours. Wow. So I'm extremely grateful for her in a, on a cause level. On a personal level, she is a personal mentor and a guide to me when I switch from the humanitarian world to the media world. And I'm like, like really, really, she um, not only mentored me, but she supported me. She gave me the first interview she has ever given to the Arab Middle East and Muslim world. And really? that was a big, big deal. And I started my interview with her with, you know, in the name of God, the most merciful, the most gracious in an Islamic prayer. And that was like a big deal and honoring like 1.9 billion Muslims out there. And it was right. like amazing. And then the last part was in her, uh, one of her latest books. Um, she had a quote from different inspiring people. And this is my favorite part. My quote, she had a quote from me. And it's next to my favorite, amazing, you know, guru, in my opinion, is Thich Nhat Hanh, the, the, uh. the Vietnamese uh, Buddhist activist, right? I was like, oh, my uh. God, you put me next to Thich Nhat Hanh. You put me next. So I was like, for me, that was more, more exciting. Better than, than being <laughs> next to Dr. Phil, right? Yeah, yeah that Thich Nhat Hanh for me is a hero. I love him. So uh, for people who maybe uh, aren't familiar with your work, I know you part of the power of what you do is storytelling for others. But if, if someone, uh, you know, we, we, I wanted this show to be a platform for activists and for advocates and for voices, um, you know, for folks who maybe don't know who you are or how you got to this point in your life, can you tell them what you think they should know about you? Oy. Where did you come from, right? Because you and I, some, for some people, are, unli are unlikely friends, but I think I don't think so. I think we're it, it's 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 kind of a beautiful thing that out of war can come friendships. Oh, absolutely, and no. We that never was would a, have met yeah, probably if not yeah. for a confluence of events. But yeah, if you yeah. can start by you know yeah. the, the essence of where you come from and how you got to this point where now you live in New York City yeah. and you're hanging out with Oprah, that was probably <laughs> no, unlikely no. at other yeah. points in your life, right? Well, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's all how, where do I tell my life from and which story and, you know, and, and I have a memoir and I wrote like, I could write like two books and I would say, this is my life, you know, or you can open it in the middle of the book and you say, oh, this is my life. So they're like aspects of my life. But the one aspect which I 
I assume that you are alluding to and where a lot of people find it interesting, even though I honest to God did not think it's a unique story at all until the age of 35, you know, um, which was a few years ago, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that started with my childhood in Iraq. I'm born and raised in Iraq and there are a few things to say about it which is what's, you know, my family knew Saddam Hussein. We were his friends. And that is not a choice. I always tell people it's not a choice that was theirs. Actually, the choice was his. And if we, like their choice, and they often talk about this moment, because I was very angry growing up at my family, at my parents. It's like, why did you put us in a relationship with the dictator? Like, you know, I was literally, you know he's a dictator. You, it's like, even though I grew up calling him uncle, I wasn't oblivious that he was a dictator and right. I wasn't oblivious that he killed people and raped women and all of that. So it's like growing up angry at my parents. And they talk about that day, the day they sort of the friendship started because they met him a couple of years earlier and they avoided him, avoided him. And then there was a day in which they um, walked to a friend's home at night, you know, wanting to like, whatever, hang out, Right. This was in the 70s. There's no cell phone and you call in advance and all of that. You just, they just walked out. Hey, let's go to so-and-so. So-and-so opens the door and tells them Saddam Hussein is in the living room. Wow. And both of them, my parents separately, separately tell me the stories that they say they looked at each other and they had to calculate very fast to enter the room is to be like to lock the friendship because he's been pursuing them and they've right. been avoiding him. Right. And they were scared as non-political people. My father was a commercial pilot. My mom was a teacher. So they had like zero political ambition. And this is like not our game thing. But to leave would be to be rude right. and piss him off. And he kills people on the most simple, benign things. Like if he gets pissed off, he does kill people, right? right? So they always talk about that moment and what they did was the polite thing and they entered the room Hmm. and they end up spending that whole evening with him. And then by the time they went home, he was like, send them rifles, hunting rifles and machine guns and all of that hunting, you know, and that was like locked in the relationship. But that, you know, so I was very judgmental of my parents and this until, until fast forward and I'll, you know, uh, the Gulf War, the second Gulf War starts. And I was very much against the war because I worked over time, and we'll talk about that later, in war zones, helping women survivors of war. So for me, it doesn't matter. I see the damage of war and I see the victims of war. And I feel like I spent two decades fixing the damage war creates. So I'm like, I'm not for like no wars, like let's solve our problems in other ways. It's just, I, I, I've seen enough victims in my life, enough houses burned, enough women's raped that I don't want to see that again. Right. So, so I was not happy about the Gulf War and I'm in an event, in a reception and Paul Wolfowitz was there. Remember Paul Wolfowitz? Yeah, you know, the, that yeah. was the old, not you know, on my Christmas card list. now yeah. they look very, yeah, yeah. very nice and benign actually compared to Trump. But I mean, and I'm talking with a woman and, and he comes and he spreads his arms. It's like he knows the women and he shakes them and they're talking. And then he says, hey, I'm Paul Wolfowitz. And I remember I was like, oh, my God. You know, like I'm put in that moment of do I shake someone's hands that I don't agree with, mm. you know, or do I do the polite thing to do, you wow. know, and I did the polite thing to do. And so I became less angry at my parents over time as I was confronted in times between my ideology and my 
politeness and 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 cultural norms and upbringing you know and that's yeah. you know but anyway that shaped my life right knowing Saddam Hussein I, I was known uh, all over the country as the daughter of Saddam Hussein's pilot my father was the became eventually his private pilot and then um and then my uh, the head of civil aviation and then I came to America and then I grew up in war myself so I was 10 years old when the Iran Iraq war started so from a very early age I realized that the what the front line what the news talk about war mm. is from men's perspective mm. which is your experience of yeah. war is from the yeah. army it is from tanks and soldiers and politicians and planes and all of that and as a child in war I was experiencing obviously a, a different aspect of war which is how do you keep on going and everyone around me was a woman the teachers was a woman. My mom obviously was a woman. The doctors were women. The factory workers were women. And so women were running life in the midst of war because a lot of people don't understand who don't, uh, like who are not growing up in war or they don't experience war. Life in war keeps on going. It's not right. that people like lock their homes and they just sit and war until the, the war. You know, you go to right. school, you get married, you get divorced, you go to birthday parties. Like this keeps going, right? right? right, right. So I, at a very young age, as uh, literally as a child, I was like, oh my God, the news is showing only the men's side of the war. They're not showing the women's side of the war. And the women's side of the war is how do we keep life? going basically right and that's really informed the rest of my life is how do we understand any issue not only from a man's perspective but also it's not don't and like i don't believe we should ignore men's perspective it's just we also need to add the women's perspective basically in it so and that includes war and peace and i end up dedicating my life for that and then the last but not least, I grew up with this, you know, a lot of people now when you think about Iraq, they think victims, they think ISIS, they think women, oppressed women. That is not how I grew up with. I grew up with a feminist mother who made me read books about American uh, civil rights movements and mm. feminist books as a teenager and told me that I have to be strong and independent. And now when I, when I tell people, Throughout my life in America, when I tell people I'm from Iraq, they say, oh, you must be a, an exceptional Iraqi. I was like, actually, every single woman in my family is stronger than me. Not, I mean, right. like, you know, I am not unique in right. my surrounding, right? It's just, this is how I grew up. And she told me, you have to be strong and independent. And no man should, should expect you to, to, cook, to cook or clean just because you're a woman. So I was like this very feminist mother. But the, but the way I came to America, so this is upbringing, war, Saddam, slash fear and a strong mother which i actually grew up seeing her commit try to commit suicide over and over mm. again so the way i came to america is i was about to turn 20 1920 and my mother asked me to accept an arranged marriage in here and mm. i'm like what mm. what I, what you told me i am like to be to be a feminist right. strong what well, like arranged marriage to who i don't know this guy you know he was i really i met him only once he used to come to the states all the time you know and and she would cry and she's like please 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 accept it please accept it and my dad is like this is just wrong what are you doing woman and she's like over my dead body she needs to get out and at the end, I'm, I'm the only daughter. Uh -huh. I have two brothers. Um, and I was very close to my mother. And I, honest, Paul, I did not want to see her cry anymore. Like, you know, I grew up with her, yeah. especially as the relationship got stronger with Saddam or closer. 
I would see my mother hysterically crying, trying to commit suicide. I don't understand what, what's going on. Right. I cannot. She doesn't tell me. But this happy mother turns into like just really struggling. I see her struggling, you know, and right. crying and sobbing. And so at the end of the day, I was like, okay, just stop crying. Okay. Okay. Is that what it takes? And this is, I actually, this was June 1990. June 15 is when I entered the United States as a bride, basically. The guy who I'm to marry welcomes me in the airport. I see him and I get anxiety first look. What airport did you come in? What, it what was, city? It was in Chicago. In Chicago. Wow. And I see him and I'm like, I get anxiety. Like, oof. you know, like, you know, you either like someone yeah. or you don't like them from the same look and from the first look and... Anyway, I go and it's like not, it's like awkward. You know, he's 13 years older than me. Now I'm almost 50. That doesn't bother me. But I was 19, sure. 20. That did bother. Like it's, he was 33. You yeah. know, that was that for whatever, a stranger. And I go for it because my mom in the wedding day, now we're in Chicago and we're driving to the wedding. I'm in my bridal, uh, whatever dress. And my father stops the car and says, you've got to stop. This is wrong. This is wrong. And my mother in the highway, hysterically crying, is like, over my dead body, she cannot go back with me to Iraq. She will not. Long story short, I just like, okay, don't fight, don't fight, don't right. fight. Please, I'll say yes. I'll, wow. I'll handle it. I'll handle it. You know, I mean, like, I'm behaving just a girl, like a daughter, basically. Right. I go, I say yes to the, to the, to the marriage. And... My parents leave two weeks afterwards back to Iraq. That's July 1st now. August 2nd, Saddam invades Kuwait. Right. August 3rd, there's a blockade and a sanction on Iraq. And it was my last time to see my family until, you know, nine years later. Wow. I, on the other hand, get stuck with this, I can say it, bastard of a man, <laughs> you know. I called him shit trap, you know, who end up being a horrible man who hated Saddam Hussein. Mm. It's okay. I did not like Saddam. Mm. I mean, I have ambivalence, whatever, all kind of mixed up feelings. Sure. We can talk about that later about Saddam. But and so he he violated me, and I think he. It's almost for him. It's almost he. Per, it's almost like he got something that belonged to Saddam, mm. and his anger would be expressed through mm. me, you know. And so he's a violent man, sexually violent man. And I end up escaping three months later. And when I escaped, you know, whatever, it's a long story about the escape, but leaving, I had, no, no, obviously when I grew up in Iraq, we were friends of the president. Right. So, and I come from a family that was, you know, comfortable family, socioeconomically, very comfortable family, right? And... But friends of the present meant private car, private planes and mm -hmm. jewelry, blah, blah, blah. Like all fancy schmancy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I, when I, the day I escape, I have $400 in my pockets. I have two suitcases full of designers clothes from my past, you know, like expensive shit kind of thing, yeah. you know. But I have $400 in cash. Wow. And I escape. And I can't call my family to tell them what the heck have you done to me? Mm -hmm. And I, uh, but then, then that day I vowed, I said, I will build my life from zero. I shall never tell anybody about my past in Iraq. And one day when I build my life and stand on my feet, I will go back 
into the region and try to help, but not today. I will build myself first. And that's how my journey started. And, you know, we talk a lot about immigration these days yeah. and ICE and all of that. When I left this guys three months later, so my papers were not even complete, mm. you know, because, you know, have to stay married for, right. to, uh, at that time was six months. Now you have to stay married for two years before you get your green card. So I just said fuck that I, I'm leaving right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so I go to the it's use the immigration services basically and I line up at 8 a.m. and I go to the woman who's in the counter and I say this is my paper this is my passport this is my return ticket to Iraq this is my story I don't want to be an illegal person you tell me what to do mm. I'm like I'm coming right. to the beast mouth right, basically right, like right. I this is not who I am you tell me what to do I, I, I don't know what to do, yeah. you know? And I, I, and what did she tell you? I wish I can, I mean, I um, I wish I can remember her name. I don't, I remember her face. Uh -huh. She was a, a black woman, petite, uh, very thin, and had her hair all pulled back. And I don't remember her voice, actually. She said, come with me. Takes me to the second floor. Make me wait for a couple of hours. And comes back and gives me my work permits. And said, you know, you need to work. You need to take care of yourself. You cannot go back to your country here. And wow. I, I, you know, I am over time. I'm became comfortable. I have a very conflicted relationship with with the divine and God. But over time, I became comfortable to say I actually really love God a lot. And for me, moments like that, I would look up and just say, "Okay, thank you, thank yeah. you, thank yeah. you." <laughs> you know, that and that moment. was how I stayed in America. You know, and I end up. And then the rest is history, basically. I mean, well, the rest is story. But, you know, that's how I end up. So when people talk about immigration now and, yeah. and America, and I'm like, you know, that was, for me, what I love about America as an immigrant. Yeah. Extreme generosity. And that is beautiful, right? Like that woman, what she did. And you feel I, like that. I'm glad. Like, I, you're so skilled at, at, at storytelling i don't even have to answer and ask you any questions <laughs> but i think you, you you probably anticipate um you know a bit of a bit of a bit of where i want to go with this with this story but what you know what what do you think of and though you think of you think of generosity i mean you think of those moments that defined for you in those very early precious fragile moments what america was and was it what you expected and now, in retrospect, what has it become? That No, I actually, honestly, when I tell people, it's like I genuinely love and respect this country. And it doesn't come out of um, patriotic, uh, like I don't necessarily, it's not coming because I grew up with a national anthem or anything right, like that, right, right? right? Like not patriotic duty. It comes out of, out of genuine respect and appreciation for this country it's a, it's from my heart right mm. it's a genuine respect and so it's not only generosity it's freedom mm. and i remember until today by the way i've been here for 29 years now right? right so i've been in 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 america more than i've been in my own home country iraq so every time i speak my truth and just tell you know tell my truth completely and i do you know i, I speak in the media about what my opinion is and people are like uh-huh that's, I was like, wow, you're okay with me saying that? Mm. And they're like, yeah. And the more I speak, the more you were like, there is an acceptance of freedom of expression and a freedom of diversity. And, and Paul, here's the thing. I came, no one knew who I was, right? right? Like nothing. 
Three years later, 1993, I found an organization called Women for Women International out of zero, nada, whatever. 1995, I get awarded at the White House. At that time, it was President, President Clinton. Clinton. Yep, yep. One of six Americans get awarded at the White House for our work, for our humanitarian work in Bosnia. Now, this is a unique story to America mm. that an immigrant can move from signing from zero to being awarded at a White House ceremony for being an American mm. who, who contributes to this country. And it, and it, no one knows it was irrelevant who my father was mm. or like, you know, my past. I Like I have since, you know, known President Clinton. like, did you know who I was? Mm. And he's like, it doesn't matter what right. you were doing, which is helping women survivors of wars. That's what the award was. And we accept you for that. So that for me is what's America. Mm. And now coming back to this moment, because yeah, these yeah, values... Yeah that are most beautiful about America. And I'm telling it to you as an immigrant myself, mm. these values are being threatened right now. And it is the generosity and it is the freedom and it is the welcoming and the inclusivity. And, and there's a way like the, the assimilation and the melting pot is all accepted and it's beautiful, right? You find your voice in here. Right. These values are being threatened right now in America. That's exactly and, why I wanted to have you on the show at this moment in time, you, yeah. you you and I were on television recently together, talking about uh, a variety of different things. You know, reflections on the on the cost of war, but it was happening in the backdrop of a point where we're teetering on the edge of war with Iran, and the president is talking about pardoning war criminals, something that I never thought our commander in chief would do. It's something Saddam would do, right? So at, at this at this moment in time, and I could honestly, I would love to go back in the way, way back machine with you and help people understand what Iraq was like in the 70s and what the real Iraqi people are like, because they're so often stereotyped. I mean, Americans think every Iraqi is running around with an RPG on their shoulder, right? And there's so much more complexity. And even the, the, the triumph or the glamour even of, of Baghdad in the 70s. When I got there, it was 2003. But you could feel this, 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 this point probably late 70s, right, where it was an epicenter of, of innovation and intellectualism and even the way the highways were built, you could feel that at that moment, Iraq was really forward-looking and forward-leaning. And arts right. and right. hip and dance. Right. And I mean, like, it's right. like it's a vibrant, uh, definitely Baghdad, where I'm from, but yeah. like the country, I can't speak about the whole country, but, you know, obviously I'm in the city, vibrant arts, fashion, you know, innovation, yeah. all of the architecture, so this was like that was the vibrant time and then over time you sort of uh, crumble and no yeah you feel like it gets it gets paused right like the the evolution and the innovation the creativity was paused and so fast forward now to this moment in time and i find now that i'm 15 years home from iraq reflecting on you know what i knew to be a tyrant or a despot or um you know authoritarian regime and seeing the after effects of that and now seeing this moment in time where bluntly i think everybody can agree regardless of their background politically that this president is echoing and and reflecting to use your mirror point from the beginning some of those um ghosts right some of those spirits and so at this moment in time you and i have had conversations over dinner at your home and over the years what is the most salient point and maybe that pivots me to my question that i ask all of my guests saying what makes you angry 
What's making me angry these days is that what, what I actually just talked about, it's not only about America. These values got, there was a lot of work to talk about these values to, and to make them universal values, universal values of democracy, of human rights, of freedom, of freedom of press, of women's rights, all of these things. And a lot was spent and effort and all of that to actually make them universal values that people around the world then bought into it and are fighting for it and have fought for it. So what's making me angry right now, honestly, is that these values are getting compromised right now and at, 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 at risk of losing. And so I want to like scream and say, it's not only him, it's not only Trump, is we need to fight for the values mm. because it, the loss of it is not loss of American values. It becomes a loss. It's, it becomes a betrayal, mm. you know, for every person out there in the world who bought into it and fought for it. Mm. Do, do you see what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It becomes saying, oh, no, we really didn't mean it. You know, right. when it's like, you know, right. no, no, we just meant it when it comes right. back to uh, right. just talking about it. And it's like, for me, I know these people. I know these people who have risked their lives on the front lines and confronting different regimes and different, you know, oppression to talk about these values. And now I see them in front of me uh, being challenged, mm. being well, they're not crumbled yet, but there is it's in I, the fight. Can, but yeah. that's what makes me uh, want to scream. Actually, can I? You've been to uh, hundred uh, over hundred countries. Uh, you've probably been all over the world, right? I mean, more places, a lot of more places than almost anybody I know. And you've been to war zones. You've been into some of the toughest places on the planet. You've seen the worst that humanity has. And at the same time, you've been this clarion voice of, of light and hope and the future. Zainab, how bad is it here now in your view? This moment in time, this show in part is a distress call, I think, from America to America, a reflection to itself about this, what I think is very fragile and important moment in time. But when you look with your perspective, you know, how bad is this moment right now? It's a dangerous moment. You know, how bad it's moment. When people, a lot of people ask me, is this like Saddam Hussein? I was like, it's not like Saddam. Because right. Saddam is a dictator. He didn't, he grew, he came to our power because he assassinated the president and then pushed the other president on the side, you know? So right. like, that's not. It does remind me of what's the situation right now of what's happened in Turkey with mm. President Erdogan, for example, 13 years ago with a lot of presidents, actually, some of them I don't want to name around the world, who come through a democratic process, mm -hmm. right? They come through an election and they say, we are here to yeah. do this and this. And then, and so people get, you know, they get like, they don't like the president, all of that, sure. but they, uh, they's like, well, let's just let him basically. What you have to watch out for, and it is happening in this country, is the small changes first on the judiciary system mm. and then on the education. Like, you know, it's institutional changes. Mm. So this person rises through power mm. and then people don't like it. But then, you know, they also don't they they don't become vigilante about all the changes mm. and then they change the institutions you know and if i look at president Erdogan, who is a, a, a you know in my opinion is an authoritarian right. Yeah. leader right now right who yeah. has tens of thousands of academics and professors and journalists and anybody with an opinion in prisons right now right and so the way he rose to power is through that election, change the police system, 
change the military system, change the judicial system, change the court system, and suddenly yeah. change the constitution. Yeah. And suddenly it's supposed to be one term, now second term, now he is forever, you know? Right. And then like you change it. And that's the danger in here. And yeah. it's happening yeah. and in Trump America. Trump joked, joked a few days ago that he could be here for five terms. He said it as a, as a joke. Yeah, and I don't think you should look at it as a joke because as I've seen enough leaders say, no, 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 we are here, all of that. And they change the constitution right. because they change everything around. Trump is changing this. Regardless of your politics, Trump is changing the judicial system right. with all the changes in the right. laws that are happening right now with abortion, all of that. Look at it. Like the way as a feminist, the way I look at it, it's like, don't look at women's issues as just a women's issue. Right. Look, women are the canary in the in the, in the line mine. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're they are the lowest hanging fruits. Usually politicians, what they do is start changes with women because yeah. they think no one will care. Right. And then they move their way up, basically. Yeah. It's just the minority, yeah. the vulnerable group. Yeah. So we need to look. I don't care what your opinion is, whether you are pro-life or against life, whatever it is, or pro-choice, pro not against life, pro-choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to look at these judicial uh, laws that are changing on abortion across the country, basically, as a very, very dangerous phenomenon because it starts with women is going to go to something on, else. It's an attack on freedom. And it attacks freedom not yeah. only of women. It, it, what I'm saying is it's, it's only, right now you may think it's only attacking women's freedom, but I'm saying that actually it's going to attack freedom right. in general, right. you know, everyone's right. freedom. Right. Right. It's just the first course of action. Yeah. So he is doing the right. same thing. Right. Now, the, what I'm also worried about in here is how do we fight back? Yeah. And how do we fight back, you know, where in my opinion, I have, anger in me right i mean yeah, like i'm also in okay. relationship this with show anger. is about recognizing <laughs> anger. that anger yeah, oh gosh, and sharing that it. anger it scares and, people yeah, sometimes but it's okay you know? <laughs> because that's part of what i think has to be said it has yeah. to be named it's okay to be angry yeah. you should be angry there is reason to be angry what you choose to do with that anger is your choice right and, and that's so, where i want this show to yes. be and this discussion to yes. be something that channels it into something positive because yes. similarly trump has taken that anger yes and he's taken his take on patriotism and he's channeling it in my view into a very dangerous place yes. and i know that yes. and, and it's also to, to your earlier point what you know america sets the tone for the world at least for now right for better or worse and what we do reverberate so it's not just trump it's also hungary and it's now india with modi you see this cascading yes. effect where it's easier to do things if you're not alone Yes. So Trump can align with other people in other countries who are slowly nibbling away at freedoms as well. Yes. And it becomes more and more acceptable, more and more commonplace, especially in the West now. Things that would have been unthinkable five, ten years ago in most Western countries from Turkey to California are now are now shifting. So all that is to say, your anger is, is welcomed here no. and appreciated here. Because you're paying attention. And I think your voice, especially on the show, I wanted to bring in your voice for people who might not be paying attention as closely as you are, but also with your perspective and your history and your vantage point. You know, well, you, you, uh, well, and then you took the words out of my mouth, actually. I mean, what is the song? <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth. I know, I know who said that. <laughs> you sing and, you on know. the show, that, that will be new. You'll be the first person to sing on the show, but um, hopefully not the last. Um, but basically because... So that's the other thing that I'm yeah. worried about is how people are are resisting and how are they expressing the anger. Yeah. So it's what we should all be angry because it is worrisome what's happening. Then, you know, like if I use Turkey as an example, 
it's 13 years ago, they actually used to have diversity of press and media right. and all of that. Now, 99.9% of the media is controlled by the government. Imagine this happens in America. It could happen in America, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So this is because it's, it's, it's moving in that. That's what he's threatening, basically, mm -hmm. right? So, but what I'm worried about also is how we are fighting it back. And when we fight it only with anger. So for me, I actually, you know, anger is like a match. It should, mm. you should use it mm -hmm. to match the fire, mm -hmm. to, to light the fire, basically. Mm -hmm. But if you then keep on the match with the fire, like you keep on adding to the fire, right. it could over consume you. Right, absolutely. And so for me, what I'm worried about is how do we fight out of like, not only like use anger to ignite, but then don't lead with it because right. then you become like him. Right. That's right. You know, you That's become right. like what you are fighting against. Right. So right. what what we have, you know, I call, you know, I call like the silent majority is how do yeah. you fight, but with integrity and right. not out of a point of and anger. And how do you do that? Because you've got, you it's know, a you, you're also a strategist and you're a tactician. You've built organizations. You've gotten things done. There, there are plenty of people in the activist world, in the political world that just talk shit and don't actually get things done and plenty of people who can, you know, say beautiful words and motivate people, but you know how to execute, right? You know how to take it through. So do you. Yeah, but that, yeah. and that's yeah. why I really feel a kinship with you is because, you know, I, ideas on some level, especially now, I think are easy. Execution is hard. Yeah. Like actually there's a difference between, um, between ideas and vision. Ideas yeah. are like popcorn. Yeah. Vision is actually seeing it all the way through and knowing how to get there and finding the way to pull people together to get to that place that we want to get to. I mean, the original angry Americans were the revolutionaries in this country. George Washington was an angry American. The civil rights leaders were angry Americans and they put it into a right place. But you have been such a powerful voice in channeling the, the motivations of people Thank around you. the world. So Thank I ask you, you a very you know, tactical question. What, what do you advise people do with their anger? Well, what do they do with their anger is activated, right? Yeah. So go and get engaged in whatever way you get engaged. But let me give you an example of my, what I'm learned, when I learned. So when I was 23 years old, I learned about the war in Bosnia. No one think, no one remembers that war, you know, but it was the genocide of Bosnians that time, yeah. right? There were concentration yeah. camps and rape camps and all of that. And it was my, the beginning of my activism. And there were demonstrations. So I would go to the demonstration, you know, all these things. And the first demonstration I go and like I took the bullhorn and I chanted and all of that. Second demonstrations was like a silent demonstration. So you have to always like walk and zen. And I was like, oh, fire. Like there's okay. a genocide happening right. there. Like what we're talking about. Just, you know, and the third demonstration, I tried to take the bullhorn again. And, and then I was like, what? Uh, okay, this, you're demonstrating over and over again. The people in Bosnia are not like... You know, like they need to do be helped today. You know, so one right. is demonstrate it helps, but actually you need to we need to engage mm. and do something. So mm. not just talk about what's going on in bad, bad, bad. What do we do right now for people in front of us? Mm. You know, in our communities, in our engagement. So just to give you an example, and I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. I'm going answering it about it in a rounded way. Since the election, I decided I'm going to go out of my way to actually engage and become friends with people I do not agree with. Mm. <laughs> The other, whoever the other is. Sure. And because I need to stretch my own muscles and I need mm. to engage and I need to learn in the relationships, how do I engage in a more productive way? Mm. And when I did that, 
I actually learned that I lost a lot of friendships and love and because I'm so angry at their mm. opinion. And then eventually I needed to confront myself of how do I engage differently, mm. right? So we talk up, you know, so engage. But you're you know? seeking to understand, not to convince. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I remember honestly was I was in a discussion with a friend of mine from England and he voted for Brexit. And so I like heard Brexiter and fire came out of my eyes. You know, I was right. like, you are a racist. Right. And this guy, I went out with him. I mean, I went not out with him. I went to college with him, you know. And he, I just saw him shut down. Right. The wall the goes wall up. Just, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I remember in that moment, I was like, what did I just do? I called him a racist and I, I lost him. I lost the engagement. I like what I just. You lost the trust. I so, labeled yeah, him. Yeah. Why does he have any incentive interest now in engaging with me and talking and exploring a way, you know, a path forward, you know, on this issue, not on our friendship. So I vowed that I will not call people that, actually. I will not call people racist or bigot or sexist or all of these things. Okay. I want to engage and understand okay. differently. Even, will, even frank, frankly, even if they are. If, even, even if they, they, even are, if they like, are, as a now, Muslim, not to say that guy is racist because cool. he puts words Brexit, but you meet people all the time who are racist, who are, you know, Islamophobic, who yeah. are. Yeah, as a Muslim yeah, and as yeah. a woman, I mean, I get a lot of <laughs> yeah. shit out of that, yes, you know, yes. like, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, the things that, and it is, I still want to engage, you know, mm. I want to engage, but by labeling them, I shut the door, mm. basically. I need to like, so I, it's, I changed my way. I just mm. like, okay, so you're saying this, I, as a Muslim, you get a lot of shit said on you, right? Mm. And I just like, okay, so you're afraid. You know, mm. so this is what's happening. And then I acknowledge their fear. Right. And then when I acknowledge aspects of what they are saying, they can actually hear me, basically, mm. and mm. then engage. So I did change my strategy of engagement. One, I actually became much more... So I go out of my way to be in relationship with people who are not in my comfort zone. Right. <laughs> you know, not easy. Whoever right, it is. Right. But I'm doing it. And right. it's a struggle, and I'm challenged by it all the time. Se second is say my truth, even though my truth is not popular. You know, like mm. sometimes, you know, let's say, let's take Muslims as a general, because we are getting attacked as Islamophobia, Islamophobia. And as a Muslim, I also think that there is an issue right now with not the existential aspect of the religion, it's like all religion, it is what it is, but it's how some Muslims are actually, are becoming destructive about it, right? Sure. So, you know, the whole idea of being like what I what you see from a lot of Muslims, like we are standing for peace and that's what the Islam is and all of these things. And I was like, so it's only defensive strategy. Mm. It's very controversial to say, yes, Islam stands for this and this and this, but there's also this and this and this. Right. And yes, there are lots of Muslims who are peaceful and there are some Muslims who are not peaceful. Mm -hmm. And that's every time I'm public about it, I get mm -hmm. attacked, you mm -hmm. know, from it. Mm -hmm. So what, the lesson in here, you can't satisfy people. You right. cannot measure your success by how many likes you have on all the social media. And mm -hmm. I'm not joking because you, we are measured that right. way these days. You have, for me, I measure is, am I saying my truth? And there are times in which I betray my truth and not say it mm. so I can be liked. And honestly, I feel like a bitter taste in my mouth. Like I betrayed myself. Yeah. You know, so do, saying your truth may not be popular. Mm. But be right? thoughtful about how but, you say your truth and know the repercussions or know the impact. And right? it may be lonely. It, right, yeah. You know, yeah. and it may be lonely. Yeah. But this is also kind of like a basic 
instructional from Zainab in conflict resolution. I mean, this is, you do this at a very high diplomatics level and in the national media, but this can be with your crazy uncle at Thanksgiving, right? Or if folks are on the road this summer and they're traveling and you're traveling to a different part of the country or a different part of the world and you confront a situation that is uh, difficult, right? Like you, this is what people need in America though on some levels is a way to break down the hard parts, and to find ways to deal with each other and work together. And so do you, do you see, you go back to that core of America, um, as a Muslim woman living in America, are you, are you hopeful for the future in this environment? Or, you know, how, how do you feel about that, right? You, you were here before 9-11, around 9-11, now after 9-11, and on a very basic level, I think part of what I want to acknowledge is that there is an unfair burden put on you, not only to defend your position, but to explain it along the way, right? You not only have to defend or, or assert your, your political position or your policy position, you've usually got to educate whoever you're talking to about the very basics of, of Islam. You're very kind. Right? But you're it's true, yeah, right? Yeah. Because like the, the baseline uh, knowledge level and it's, it's expanded in the country in the last few years. It was still, it was very low and still is very low, right? I mean, well, so you kind of have to yeah. have like two prongs at the yeah. same time. And this is As an example. activist, that's a very tricky yeah. tightrope to walk. And I don't, I mean, I mean, I also don't only talk about Islam. I talk about women's rights and I talk about all kinds of issues. So, but it's one example that is, it's like sort of low hanging fruits of an example. But listen, as, as who I am, right? A feminist, activist, immigrant, Muslim, woman of color. I really want, like when I see Trump supporters, you know, not, not all Trump supporters, but I am interested in understanding them. So rather than judge, like, you did this, you did this, you did this. You, I actually want to understand what's come, where, where is that coming from? Where is your fear? Where is all of these things? And, you know, our friend George, you know, uh, from uh, People's First, I yeah. love uh, yeah. that man. And he's like, you know, when he do canvassing in, in Ohio and in different towns and all of that, he says one third of people are like gone. Like, you know, there's no conversation. Right. But two thirds there are conversations going, you know, and it's just, you have to distinguish between the rhetorics they repeat and between who, what they really want and they believe. And so what I'm saying is we need to engage. Am I worried for America right now? Yes. Be and, and it's not only because of Trump, because how we are fighting it, we have to be careful. Like mm. we don't lose an intact, we, we don't lose our own integrity in the mm. fight, basically, yeah. you know? We don't burn uh, the village to save it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So am I worried? Do I feel like anger is leading right now? And at one point, do I sometimes feel like both sides are becoming reflection of each other in that anger? And yes. then you did this. No, you did this. No, you right, did this. No, right, you. Right, right, it's right. like I feel like I'm a neighbor listening to a couple who have been married for a long time fighting yeah. with each other. And I'm like, why? You know? And so am I worried? Yes. Am I worried we're going to lose a fight of, of, you know, we need to go back to center of what's important. I think so, you know, because sometimes, yeah. and I, Paul, I'm not saying it because I could be coaching this. I'm saying, because it's a trial and error for me. Like, you know, right. I do get upset at people who say horrible things and I'm like, ah, and then I'm like, okay, okay, no, right. no, no, I have right. to come right. back, right. you know, right. you know, so it's, it's not, I'm a Zen for, yeah. I'm not at all. It's just, I'm like trying. And, no, and, you, and you are, you are operating at a very high level I don't and know very, no, that. very high stakes. You know, I mean, there are, you know, a handful of people in America who are Muslims in the media, 
right? And then there, yes, and then so, there's yeah. an even smaller number that are women, yes, right? Like single digits, yes, yes, who are on Morning Joe, who are on BBC, who are you are in a very you are like a point guard in the NBA. It's a very rare air. You know, you're an all star point guard in the NBA. It's a very, very high kind le- of you. No, but it's true, and and the importance is similar. I mean, you the whole. There, there are so many people relying on you. That's an incredible burden. But you're also a great translator and a great ambassador and a great friend. You're, you're very dynamic in moving through social circles. You know people in fashion. You know people in entertainment. You know people in diplomacy. So can you talk about kind of the weirdness of that? Because there's also kind of a, a, a you know, a celebrity culture that involves presidents and other people that you're out. You're talking to Oprah, and then you go down into a war zone. So what's that like for you? Um, and I have to ask you along the way too, as we think about where you came from and what was your first car? I have to ask you this because we got very intense here and I don't, I don't want to miss the car question. We're we're missing the fun part. I know, but it's also very important. But, but the two questions, one, how do you operate, you know, how do you think about, or do you think about operating in those worlds when you're sitting in a chair, right? Do you think about the fact that you might be the only Muslim woman that many people have ever heard on television, do you think about that? No, honestly, I mean, honestly, I don't. And and this is, you know, all what I think is I'm comfortable in my skin, and that's right. the only credit I give myself, mm. right? And so, and that helps me. Mm. That helps me go up and down the ladder and be with the wretched of the earth, mm. you know, and love them, right. and then be with the biggest people on the earth and still love them, you know, and also yeah. love them, right? Yeah. So, but that has nothing to do with them. It has to do with me just being comfortable with who right. I am. And I'm I'm somewhere in the middle, you mm. know, have in my own small apartment you've been to, yeah, you know, yeah. that you just like, that's my, 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 uh, you know, safety and it's, yeah. it's normal and nothing about it, right? Nothing special about it whatsoever, right? But, it, but it's it's a reflection. I'm I'm special. I mean, I'm comfortable with myself. Second, hmm. why I hold myself responsible not for everybody. Not I don't feel like I'm representing people. I hold my responsible myself responsible. Am I telling my truth? Right. And that this is like my indicator. You yeah. know, am I telling my truth? There were time. There was one time only I have to say in which I got calls before I was going on a, some show and people's like, oh, I have, if you say this, you'll piss off those people. Mm. And if you say this, and I got nervous and I. I try to be moderate and I regret it to the mm, bones. Yeah. Yes. Like what was like, what's the point? What, what I'm trying to please those people yeah. or those people. Like we are like, we need to stay in integrity. And so right. the next time I went on the same subject, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah, stayed yeah. my truth and you let it, it fly. I yeah. let it fly. Yeah. And actually did, I did piss off people, yeah. you know, and they called me and emailed me. And then at the same time people called me. I was like, thank God for you said that. And every time I tell my truth, it works actually. Yeah. A lot of people say, "Oh my God, yeah. thank God but you said also, that." But there are also, there are also, I want to, there are also children watching, right? There's a young Muslim girl somewhere in Chicago or in Alabama or wherever that's looking for someone to speak for them, someone to to help translate their their truth, right, and and to represent a broader truth, and that's part of why. I, I really felt this conversation was so important because even if you don't recognize it or it's part of your strategy is not to recognize, there, there's a very almost unfair leadership burden on you 
Like the leadership no, burden that you have feel, right now at this it, moment in time. And I don't feel it. Yeah. yeah. But thank you. Yeah. I mean, but I'm, I, it's good that I think if you feel it, then it becomes a burden yeah, and yeah. scary, all of that. Yeah. I'm just like me and like yeah. not feeling it. And I'm just like, woohoo, la la, yeah. <laughs> you know? And my first car. Yes, please. Thank you. So I escaped from that. I, I, I wrote a memoir and, uh-huh. I, I, and I changed people's names in the memoir. And okay. my revenge of my first ex husband <laughs> was by calling, and this is the only revenge I did. Of yes. course, by A, telling the story, yes. and then B, calling him in Arabic so you wouldn't know when I'm calling him shit trap. Shit trap. You know, so that was my revenge. It's like very benign, you know. But, you How know, do you say shit trap in fakhri. Arabic? Fakhri. <laughs> my Arabic is very bad. But that, no, but, but that, it could be, it's the name of a person. It could yeah. be a pride or fakhri, you know, fakhri. shit trap, right? So that my is my revenge. But... Um, what am I saying? What am I first? So Your I first go, car. escape, I get a job at a Hallmark. At a Hallmark you know, card at store. At a Hallmark card in store. Chicago? In Chicago. An Italian mm-hmm. family, which I love. Joe's Hallmark. You Joe's know? Hallmark. I love the family. Like they took care of and, and you would appreciate it was the first goal for, right? So uh-huh. I'm stacking up cards. Hallmark Hallmark cards about love and love. <laughs> and I'm sobbing because my country is in a war. Wow. Like, you know, I'm like literally crying and I'm just putting and you're love, in love cards. Pu- putting you know? birthday cards on <laughs> You know, and my first Christmas was in Joe's Hallmark and I see all these parents with their kids and I was like and I felt so lonely and um. I was like, my family is not there, all of these things. So anyway, I save up my you know, salary. Yeah. And I buy a like a very old 1970 brown and beige. Uh, what's an American? Uh, Christ? Christ? Chrysler? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very, very old, basically. Wow. And 1970 it's like, brown you know, Chrysler. Exactly. No, two colors. Two you colors. Know, when they, two they, tones. They, yeah, no, yes. two tones, right. Yes. And then like it takes me a, for a long time. <laughs> you know, that's the t- car I bought with my money. And I love that car. The car beforehand. Hold on. I want to stay on that car. Yeah. Because so that is an amazing story. Yeah. Like you saved your money working at Joe's Hallmark yeah. in Chicago and the first car you buy is a Chrysler. Did you intentionally buy an American car? No, I just, just had was... $600 and that's all <laughs> that I could afford. But I have to tell you, what's the first please, car I please, own uh, in my uh, life, which was not car. from my money. Yes. So when you think, what's your first car you yes. own? I think the one I bought, $600 right, right. in my own money. Please tell the me Oprah gave you a car. car. No, no, okay. the, no, the Oprah was not <laughs> in the picture. But first car I owned was in my name, was a gift from Saddam Hussein. Wow. And Mitsubishi. A pistachio color Mitsubishi that was the only car of its kind and its color in Iraq. And it was his gift for me. This was in Baghdad. In Baghdad. So and you I drove old? it. I was like, you know, 18, 19, or whatever, wow. you know. And I 18. And I drove it and the whole city knew. <laughs> wow. It was the only car of its oh kind in the God. entire country. Yeah. And the only color of the color. Of Did the you statue. drive it or were you driven I, in no, it? No, no. This was his gift from me. Uh-huh. So I drove it, you know. Wow. Because I got my life. It was yeah, a long story. Yeah. You know, and everyone knew it was like. So, so I moved from the only car in the country you know, given by the president to, right, to a beat up Chrysler in Chicago. Chrysler is $600. You know, and I like pray every time that it's, and I love 
that car, the one I bought with my own money. With that $600 for me, it like makes me laugh and smile and shine. And the Mitsubishi makes me like, oh, yeah. This is why we asked the car question. Because we never know where it's going to go. Which car you want? The one I owned in my name or the one I bought with my money? I'm just grateful for both stories. (laughs) And I know anyone listening right now is grateful for both stories. So... um, as you, I want to ask you what you think of the political landscape, right? The folks are running for president, and you, I hope, are getting calls from these people to get, to seek your counsel, or at least not really. Okay, well, that's a shame <laughs> because they should. But when, when you when you look at these candidates, um, what are your thoughts? Because there's so many now, and I know you think in in terms as an activist, right? Is there someone that you think is, you know, is 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 more promising? or more effective, or more whatever? I just would love to hear your assessment of the landscape of all these candidates. I have to tell you, Paul, you caught me because I ask my guests that in my show all the time, and I've never put a thought in my answer. I was like, shit, I'm in the opposite chair in here. Um, I'm watching all. Yeah. Like I, I actually cannot name someone who I'm. I would say this yeah. is what's most and you've exciting. Met many of them. Uh, no, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Actually, okay. I really have not. You know, I'm like I. You know, I've been watching on the margin in here. I know yeah. people who are in different campaigns, right. but right. I've never right. actually. I don't think I met anybody. As a matter of fact, you know, um, and so I met. Cory Booker, you right. know, and I actually, I'm like, I'm just watching, and everyone has the pros and the cons and all of these things, and you know. I'm just watching. I, I I can tell you, I can tell you who I, well, I shouldn't tell who I don't like, you know, I guess, you know. <laughs> you I, know. I will leave it up to you. Tell your truth, Zainab, <laughs> as you see fit. <laughs> well, I mean, for me is, we have to be strategic. And there is a, the activist part of me and there is right. a strategic part of me. And, you know, and we can't just be, oh, who's, for me, like, for example, Bernie. Okay, Bernie Sanders, when he says all the slogans that I actually, some of them I, I really do like, but then there's a practical part of me, that practical that you would understand who not only have an idea, but build an organization and have to fundraise and have to make it practical and right. work and like all of these things. So there's an ideologue out of me, an ideological person, mm-hmm. and there's also a very practical person. And the way I try to do it is try to see how I can fit both of them in the same box, right? So when I hear just slogans, I don't get excited. Like, mm. I become like, well, where's the practical side here, mister? Right. You know, like, you know, okay, this is really good. I'm, I, I like this language. But I need you to see like more implementation and and think through it, you know. So Mm -hmm. that's what I'm trying to say. So I don't get necessarily bought in by a lot of the fancy talks, you know. I I really want to see grounded, earthy, come back to this earth. We really need (laughs) to, you know, really need to bring this country back together. It's important for me personally, not only for the country, but for the world. This has to be the anchor, you know? And so I'm watching everyone. And and then also who can be crasp enough to like fight Donald Trump, to Mm. be honest, because he brings a a, a nasty part of an individual Mm. in a fight. So I don't know who could be that's you know who can do that and yet who can do that while staying in integrity and so i'm obviously excited about all the women Mm -hmm. you know all of them yeah i I do think it's a beautiful story no matter who end up winning that hillary would pave the path forward Mm -hmm. and she 
took a bullet for it, basically, mm. you know. And then after her, it's a beautiful from a narrate, like from a story perspective. Yeah. So many women mm. rise and say, "We are gonna do it right, right again." Right. And so, uh, from a feminist perspective, that's a good story. I mm. mean, I know she took a bullet for it, but like also, it's not a lost story. There are more more, more women rising, right. and that's exciting for me. You know, do, do you, when you think back to now, especially given your intimacy with Saddam. There was a moment in Iraq where they felt like, where there was many people who felt, Iraqis who felt like there must be accountability and there must be public accountability to the point where an execution took place, right? It felt like that was necessary for Iraq, from at least in my experience on some levels, to say to the world, like, we took some control here. We tried to, it may not be the justice that you want, but it is the justice that we administered and we are on some levels taking care of our situation. When you look at Trump and now there's conversations about impeachment, do you feel like the American people have to send a message to the world on some levels that there is accountability? If he just walks like Wolfowitz and like Rumsfeld and like so many others that have, in my view, had a hugely destructive impact on this country, and on our world standing, and on other countries, uh, does there need to be some level of accountability? Maybe it's impeachment. Some people would love to see him in jail, yeah. right? But, but do you feel like that is necessary for America to turn the page, and do you feel like that is necessary for the world to take us seriously? So a couple of things. One, I want to go back to the Iraq part, because I actually really, I was against the way Saddam execution went about yeah. as in i thought every country needs to have its own truth and reconciliation and justice basically so his court his trial how we how iraqis went about it and tried him and all of that was to set an example of justice if you give the worst criminal due diligence and due process in justice, then the smallest criminal can also right, get that. Right. You, see, you set the yeah. bar high yeah. with, with the worst criminal, and that is Saddam, right? And so in his case, they did one trial out of six trials, and they executed him on only that one trial, and I, I cried the day he, he died. And I still get emotional. And I cried for the country. Because I said, oh, my God, this was our chance to actually have a, a just process. Right. And we just threw it out. In the it wasn't end. like a war crimes tribunal. It felt like it was messy. It was messy and it's ugly and didn't finish. Right. Like, finish the trial, what he did to Kurds, what he did to Shia, what he did to Kushis, what he right. did to this. What he, like, do it so the country has come to the same book right. of our narrative and our history. And when they cut it short and executed him, they cut not his life short. I don't care about that. They cut the process short mm. and they cut mm. the narration short. And now Iraq as a result, and you know, it's fascinating. Our friendship is fascinating for me, <laughs> right? Because you're like, you are a soldier, you know, yeah. in the army, in the US army. And, you know, and I love you and you're in friendship and a genuine good friendship, right? 
and which is also talk about my own process of how do you actually try to understand the yeah. other like I don't see you as a soldier I just like where is I want to understand and then you right. see the human and you become friends right? right so I really was pissed off and then I have to admit only to finish the thought on Saddam the part of me and this is the controversial part is I knew him as uncle like you know I knew him I, I just referred to him as uncle he's not my blood uncle it's just my father's right. friend right so the, I cried for the country and I cried because I know this man and mm. I just saw him executed mm. and to is to I would lie to you if I just said huh the heck of him. Right. I mean, I, I knew him as uncle and I knew him as a dictator and I hate him as a dictator and I have feelings for him as an uncle, mm. you know, mm. and they both, these feelings coexist mm. with each other. Mm. So that's neither there or here, but like, but to talk about the trial of Saddam, it was not. How America does and what it do in a just, it's what's important, it's, it has to be just, mm. fair and legal way mm -hmm. of doing mm -hmm. it. Because then it is about American values and it's about democratic democratic values and about freedom values. So how we deal with Trump, whether it is impeachment, whether it is election loss or not, or, 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 right, or, right, right. has to be a way that demonstrates the values of right. democracy. Does, does that mean, yeah, you know, that like, yeah. so what yeah. does that mean? Yeah. I actually, don't know. yeah, right? I don't yeah. know, but yeah. it has to, it because could be that's a, it could when be an the election world, or it could be, you know, there are plenty of people who want to see him taken away in handcuffs, right? Uh, and like I really don't know. And I tried to follow the news. Somewhere in between, or maybe it's re-election, right? And, like and maybe it's impeachment. And maybe right? it is impeachment. Right, yeah. Whatever it is, yeah. how America deals, and what yeah. I'm trying to say, yeah. in this moment of history, and it's a pivotal moment of history, yeah. it's a divided moment of history, it's a populist moment of history, how America deals with it. Learn the lessons from Iraq. You either win the values is a long run win. Right. That's when the whole world see like will watch. Right, is right, watching. Right, right. Or it will lose mm. its values and mm. the loss is big for the mm. world. Do, do you see what I, I mean? Absolutely so see. This it's is a why, pivotal Zainab, moment. This we is have to why watch I it. wanted you on this show at this moment in time. And I I want you to also um as we kind of take a breath right because that's a lot to process right i'm gonna have to pause that and go back and listen to it a couple times to just process a lot of that was very 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 moving what you shared Thanks. and your perspective and insight is very very valuable and i'm thankful for that but knowing what you do about conflict and about hardship and about pain there are folks listening to this show who might be going through a tough time in their life maybe going through adversity um what is something that makes you happy because you are also one of the most joyous and and inspired inspiring people i know zainab what's what makes you happy here's the thing if there's such a thing as dying in a lifetime dying while being alive mm -hmm. i have died while being alive a couple of times in my life and not because of disease or illness i have died right. <laughs> you know it i like you know, you lose hope and you lose them. And I remember these moments very clearly. They happen twice in my life. And you go to despair, basically, you yeah. know, you know, and, and you just and and then you wake up the next day and little by little you put one feet on top of the other in front yeah. of the other feet, yeah. in front of the other feet. And like the last that the last time this happened to me was actually four years ago. And I really like the the, the taste of life like left me right mm. and here i am and like i am in a good 
thank God, joyous moments, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when the joyous, mm-hmm. happy moment. But it's not, it's not coming out of lack of experiencing the 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 sad moment, mm. you know, or mm. the of the painful moment or whatever. Yeah. It's coming because I have experienced right. that deep down bottom moment and so now what keeps me happy honestly it's like so silly but it is so real Mm -hmm. so i wake up in the morning every morning and because i remember that moment you know it's uh, and before that it was 20 years ago that it happened to me like that deepest moment and then you go of course i mean sometimes happens on a weekly level or monthly level or a yearly level but you go to that moment right like i don't know if you know for me it go so then i wake up and what gives me and i was like Thank you, God. You know, and I put my feet on my floor. It's like, wow, thank you, God. And I have my healthy food. I was like, whoa, thank you, God. And I love my apartment. I was like, thank you, thank you. And nothing is special about these things. Honestly, nothing is special. But it's just like, and yesterday I was like complaining. You know, I was like, you know, I'm so tired. I'm working so hard and all of that. I was like, are you kidding me? You know, you're like, less to have you know all these things to do and you want to do all of these things that like so i just shifted from complaining and despair yeah in a moment to say let's just be great oh my feet was t- hurting me that's what it was because you know <laughs> women you wear high heels you're also and, like, wearing you know, cowboy boots because right now. it's like flat wearing, and you, you, easy the, right the, you, you, you you walked in you look like a rock star you have cowboy uh, boots on uh, and these killer <laughs> bracelet like a wonder it's woman bracelet <laughs> And and very very fitting because you are a superhero. And this necklace. Hey, well, the cowboys from a vintage store for like ten makes, bucks. You, you, you know, you 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 are a fashion innovator. You, fashion you. makes you happy. Thank you. Yes, yes, it makes it. Right? So you know, so what I'm saying is gratitude makes me yeah, happy, and then gratitude, everything about level. it makes me happy. Right. Then when I eat delicious food, I become like so yeah. over excited, yeah. and I, when I find it like a yeah. ten dollars cowboy boots, I get over excited, <laughs> and when it's really sunny, I get over excited. So there's nothing magical. It's like life makes me happy That's and it's because I had the other aspect of it where it didn't make me happy That's so now beautiful. I'm like it's a it's a it's a that perspective is is a gift right it's it's the silver lining of that hardship and it's I think all, and we can anybody who's it. been yeah. through severe trauma or any level of pain I think could probably relate to that and it's a good perspective to think about in dark times how you can always find light somewhere. I think my, fa- my father said that to me in some way when I left for Iraq. He knew I was going to war and he said something like, you know, you can find things every day. You and know, how you did can it find work? Something. I mean, I'm so, it's just you, just, I, I you have to look for it. My, my grandfather came here and spent three years in the South Pacific. It was very hard. He never talked about it. Except that he one day met, you know, he saw Dom DiMaggio, the, not even Joe DiMaggio, but Dom DiMaggio, Joe DiMaggio's brother. He saw him one day in the Philippines. That was kind of all he talked about. He didn't really talk about the hard times. And I know there were hard times, but he taught me to pay attention. And that's what I teach my, my boys is to pay attention. Because if you look, if you just open your eyes and look around, you can see the sunshine or you can appreciate your breath or you can taste the water and just appreciate what you do have. And when you've had nothing or very close to nothing then you realize how sacred the something is Absolutely. and and that's a, a gift that my grandfather gave me and my, i think my father yeah. built on and i think you have given us today by just having well, that you, appreciation I, and i have to tell you and for me i call it watching for the signs you know mm. i have to, a story to tell you I, you know we have a friend in common oh david david chastine i don't know if uh, you know Ch- you know really? oh my god oh my so god. when i for when the iraq war happens right <laughs> they go for no no this is a story no, I, it's, I, i'm I, laughing because I don't know if we can 
So can we talk about what he what he what he used to do? No, I mean, no, no, no. He used to be a, in the war, right? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I only yeah, know. And he then was he was also in a in a in a in a, in a specialized area of our government at another point later in his life. Okay, yes. I don't know about yes. that. I yes. know the story yes. I have with David, right? Yes. Which okay. is the war happens. Uh, two weeks later, a small plane of civilians go into Iraq. Basically, <laughs> you know. Six of us, mostly Europeans, I'm the only one American and Iraqi, and a plane from Jordan made in 1969, the year I was born. And so we land into Baghdad International Airport, right? My father was the head of the Iraqi civil aviation. So I grew up in the airport and right. I was like the queen At of the, Biop. you know. We called it Biop later. Right? Yeah. And so I go into, we land. And I see all these destroyed planes, tanks, destroyed air, and like my heart just shrinks, and yeah. I'm scared. You know, I'm like rolling into the airport. Yeah, right. And I, like, so you know, I'm, yeah. you know, so I'm scared, and I'm like, oh my god, like this is if they know who I was, like who I who I am, like my father was the like was the king of this yeah, airport, yeah. you know, um, and I'm like scared, and I was like. Oh, you are soldiers all over and this guy is like like he's creating his own system right he's mm -hmm. like um you know who is what's your name your nationality give me your passport number he's like making his own system on a paper basically right. yeah, there's no much, system you know how everything worked over there and yeah. so so i am like nervous scared and i was mm -hmm. like he said who works with women for women international and i'm like I am, but uh, I can just go back to this plane and go back to Jordan. Don't worry. You did not see me here. I'm, I'll just go back to Jordan. Don't worry. Yeah. And he spread his arms and he says, welcome to this country. This country needs you. And other, he doesn't know. He doesn't know and it was my Justine. own background. It was David. Wow. He only knows Women for Women International. And him and his wife had donated money to it because yeah. it helps women survivors yeah. of wars. But the moment, what I'm trying to tell you is here I am going back to my own destroyed country. Yeah. You know, in the war. Yeah. And meeting soldiers. And I'm scared of, I'm always scared of soldiers. Like, no, I'm not. You know, yeah. but like, you know, and yeah, because I read enough books about my favorite book is The Good Soldier, actually. Uh, you know, and like it shows you the humanity, yeah. like you, the ind yeah. individuals, yeah. Yeah. humanity, yeah. right? And so, and I just like looked at it. And I was like, I looked up and it's like, okay, God, okay, I'm okay. You know, uh, so you watch the signs and the signs turns what was in my moment very, you know, sad yeah. moment yeah. into actually a moment of like saying, stay, work, I'm glad, try to create peace. I'm glad it was him because he's one of the, 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 the best people I know. Wow. And he, he, he's always considered himself a, you know, a follower of God. He was very religious for many parts of his life. I think he may have even studied um, in, in seminary at some point. And um, I know him because we met in 2004 and he was one of the very first members of what became IAVA. He's one of the, the, pl the plank owners. Like we, when it was Operation Beautiful. Truth in 2004, um, and he was, you know, he, he was a disgruntled Republican who couldn't find his home with Kerry or anywhere else. And he was a chemical weapons officer. And he always tells a story about when they got to Iraq, um, there was the plan. There was the plan to get to Iraq. And when they got to Iraq, he asked, where is the plan for what's next? And they said, there isn't any. There was no page in the book for what happened next. And now we all know what happened next. But that's uh, maybe, maybe a beautiful way to bring it back around because the friendship that I think can come out of war and is, is, can, can be that light. And our friendship is that. Absolutely. And I also have gifts that I have for every, every guest. Um, I right. also, while I give you these gifts, I want you to remember that before we got here, you told me my podcast was too long. 
but we've been talking and <laughs> this lot. is this is why oh the God. podcast is long because you can only get to those real stories if we have the time right it's so true and i always complain as like someone have my own show i always complain about the edits we have to do and cuts yeah, we have to do no and why do we here. have to cut this person and they're so interesting and this is a quarter really of what appreciate. dinner is like at your house yeah. because we usually yeah. talk for three more hours That's and there's so three true. bottles of wine <laughs> exactly but i have i have gifts for you that i All give right. for every guest and they're, they're kind of, yes, please, please. I'm just going to ask you to hold the mic up or I'll hold the mic for I'll you. I'll hold it like Okay, this. there you go. Now in the bag, we've got a couple things. First of all <laughs> is whiskey. Now we always have an American whiskey every, every wow, episode. Wow. And so I will spare, Love I will it. not have an exception. Oh my God. I remember your wife brought, uh, what she do? you guys brought some delicious drink when you came over. It was like home. a cognac or yes, something. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. My really wife fantastic. is very good at selecting. Fantastic. Selecting it's fabulous. Things, but yes. Thank this is you. Old Forester whiskey. And it has a, a classic look to it that I thought was appropriate. I love it for you. And Thank then we've got you. a couple. This is just swag. This is, but this is a t-shirt because you you are a, a beautiful, wonderful, angry American, and it's an angry Americans t-shirt. Made in America. You I can get it. them online at angryamericans.us. And made, it's really made good by fabric. Veterans. I love it. Very I love cozy. it. You know, I'm all into conscious consumerism, which is like I say, we have to like ask who made it. How did we treat them? Did they make it right? All of made that. Made by veterans in this Chicago. Is, I love They're it. They're from Chicago. I love it. They have Truly. a headquarters just outside Chicago. Fantastic. And then there's one more thing in there because okay. I can't wait to see your reaction to this. Every guest this season, uh, I have presented them with, it, maybe you had these at Joe's Hallmark when you were in Chicago, but uh, they're peeps. Now, you, you, peeps, we have yellow, <laughs> we have yellow, blue, and pink. I love and it. And the question is, which... And they're gluten-free. <laughs> they are gluten-free, see? But if you had to pick one color, Zainab, with the blue, the, the pink, or the yellow, which would be your choice? I think I will pick the blue. Why? Because blue for me is... First of all, I love it, and it's fat-free. Fat, this is see, this is this is the beauty of peeps: gluten-free, fat-free. I love it. It's fantastic. Can I eat one now? You can eat them anytime you <laughs> oh. want. Absolutely, with the whiskey. Um, fantastic. Um, I like blue. I for, for some reason blue for me is uh, like when I think of my I close my eyes and I think of freedom and joy and happiness and all, I think of blue. And now you will think of blue. And peeps. then I like the blue character in in the X Men. Uh, Nightcrawler. Yes. Uh, or Mystique. No Mystique. Mystique. Ah, yeah, that's yeah, a good, yeah. If you were yeah, if you I were an X Men if you were an X Men character, would who would you be? No, would I wouldn't you? be Mystique. I no? just like the look of all yeah, blue well, women. Yeah, <laughs> that's know? good. If you were an X Men character, who would you be? I think I would want to be um, the Professor. I think that's appropriate. <laughs> you definitely have the. Or the, or Halle Berry with the with the the light thing thing Storm. Yes. Which is yeah. also yeah. a good one. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah. you are Storm yeah. and you are Dr. Xavier <laughs> and, and you are Mystique. Oh. And which you, one do you want to be? Oh, man. I, I grew up all about Wolverine. I love Wolverine. I almost oh my named God. my When I was a kid, I swore that I was going to name my kid Logan. Just oh, because I, oh Logan was Wolverine's name and I loved the, the backstory. I was just, yeah. I was a Wolverine addict. I, I love, Everything I love, that came yeah. up long before yeah. Wolverine was big and popular when I was a kid, Wolverine was my dude. But then over time, I think now it's become Professor Xavier because I'm older now, right? And I'm bald <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I hope to be as cerebral as, as he is and as, as wise as he is. I know. But, but it's also good to be in the fights. 
That's true. But he was in the fight. He was above the yeah, fight. Yeah, he was. Yes, he was yes. everywhere. Yes, yes, right? yes, yeah. He yeah. was like a yeah. he was like yeah. a like a strategic weapon rather than a tactical weapon. Oh my god, weapon, I just right? had an epiphany. A major epiphany. Okay. Uh, Xavier yes. is on a wheelchair. Yes. Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. Who became Bran, Bran the Broken. On a wheelchair. Yeah. Both of them can be in the battle without being in the battle. Oh my God, I just had a huge epiphany. This is amazing. We haven't gotten into Game Throws enough this season. (laughs) Did you like the ending? Did you watch the ending? I did watch the ending and I like it because I actually like the fact that the leader basically is on wheelchair. Yeah. And and that's so it's like the the diversity, you know, and I like the fact that they, um, he did not have a, he was okay to holding power, but was not power hungry. So I like that aspect of it, you Which know? Which is like you and yeah. what we need Thank from America. You. I You're was, too kind. For, <laughs> I, listeners have to know that I am profoundly disappointed with the final season of Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones until this season was my favorite show of all time. It has now fallen. I agree. It has fallen from number one. It blew the lead in the fourth quarter, and now it has gone from number one to number three. No. Breaking but, Bad is back at number one for me. Oh, The okay. Wire is back at number two for me. And Game of Thrones has fallen three places on my, on Rykov's no, The season is time. bad. The season is bad. The ending, given how bad the season, in my opinion, the season is blew decent. It. You got to complete the yeah. task. Like yeah. Breaking Bad, number one for me, because it was totally complete. It was okay. it was full yeah, circle. Yeah. It was thoughtful. I feel like the last season of Game of Thrones, Horrible. they were kind of winging it. I totally. It felt like the Iraq War. Like totally. they didn't know where it was going to end. I agree. And it kind of ended like the Iraq exactly, War. Exactly. Exactly. See, I go. mean, like, no, where the, are we the, going? The What's going to happen? Exactly. Who the hell knows? Good luck, but everybody. But given how bad it is, yes. it was a decent ending. Yes. But like, all the se- they yes. really wasted the season on battlefields, and like, they See? did not need to do it's, that. They well, just really and did I think not need to. In maybe a fitting way, the lights have gone out in our video. There will be video of this episode that you can find online. And you can find Zainab on Yahoo, your show. Would you mind telling Through people? her eyes at Please. Yahoo News. Yes. And, it's, uh, yeah. so and just you're a regular on Morning Joe. Well. And on a, you have a podcast. Yeah. And you have Zain- amazing books that people should also check out. Thank you very much. Thank you. My latest is Freedom is an Inside Job, which is a lot of what I learned about like changing the world to realize I was like, oh, shit, I have to change myself. Yes. Um, and my memoir, of course, Between Two Worlds. And thank you so much, Paul. I like, uh, you know, I sort of let you, I sort of listen and I'm trying to observe all the nice and compliments uh, that you gave but uh, like what you did I remember first time I met you in your office and you sat at the meeting with a prayer for love Mm. and I was like wow you know because you know I work in war and I did have issues with soldiers really and I it worked it was a process for me to actually read and then meet and then be friends and then then love you know yes and it was like you are my like it's like wow it's a soldier who's talking about love and that's beautiful and so you really model for me um a, you know, healthy masculinity in a time where masculinity is being challenged, you, you know. My mother will be very happy <laughs> you know, to hear that. You know, so is your my wife, My mother I was a say, feminist, you know? my wife as well, but my you know? mother worked very hard on, <laughs> yeah. she was she was trying to make me a feminist before people thought about making men feminists. Fantastic. My mother definitely deserves any credit, and, and then my wife, of course. And then your leadership and honesty, and I really uh, appreciate you. that. Thank you. Paul, really, really. Thank you, but thank I, am, you. I am so grateful for your leadership and for joining us and for breaking it down. Like, this was a conversation where you really... You know, you always keep it real and you're always very truthful. But I hope people now understand why I think you're one of the most important voices in the world. You really you are. are. Too kind. Especially right and now. So are you. And our country is so lucky 
that 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 you ended up here. You clear are mirror, what this, clear mirror, clear in here. mirror, clear mirror, right back at you, man. Right I, back. I look Seriously. forward to examining the mirror analogy throughout the summer <laughs> and for the next few years to come. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, the brilliant and, and, and dynamic Zainab Salbi, thank you for joining us on Angry American. Thank you. Every episode, I want to share with you a way to turn your anger, frustration, motivation, and or inspiration into action. An action that shows this is more than just a show. It's a community. A community of concerned and connected people who don't just complain. They're a community that takes action. Righteous action that shows angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that'll make you feel good and make a difference. This week, it's simple. Listen to Bob Mueller. He was a good Marine. He did his job. Now, be a good American. Go do your job. Go read the Mueller report. All of it. It's 448 pages. And yeah, it takes a little bit of work. So pour yourself a good American whiskey or a big cup of coffee or have a dip of Copenhagen and do your civil duty and dig in. Shut off the cable news for a few hours. Don't listen to the spin from MSNBC or Fox or CNN. Don't let politicians do the analysis or the thinking for you. Do it for yourself. Do it for your kids. Do it for your grandkids. Do it for our future. That's it. Read the damn report. And if you've got a story to tell or a resource to share, use the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Don't just be angry. Be active. Winning is a team game, and America is a team game, and this show is a team game. So big thanks to a few folks that helped make this episode happen. The Classic Car Club in Manhattan again, Eric Schonborn, Ben Stoffer, Ed Salego, and Chris Rosenthal for all the video, graphics, social media. Brendan Pfeiffer for always having my back. Bill Schultz, our outstanding producer, who found that cool hip-hop track for my rant. Cadence 13 for the air support. Righteous Media for powering this whole enterprise. Soledad O'Brien and her team at Starfish Media. Manuel, Patrick, and all the guys over there, thank you for letting me use their recording studio. I am finally out of my wife's closet and coming to you from a real studio, so thanks to them. Zainab Salbi, our guest this week for an amazing conversation. My friend Ron Perlman, our fiery guest from episode three, is rocking an Angry American shirt on his Instagram page and looking damn good. You can get your own, just like Ron wears, at angryamericans.us. Big thanks to the state of Vermont for hosting me this past week. If you've never been to Vermont, especially in the summer, you're missing out on a true American treasure, especially the mountains, the strong people, the excellent beer, the independent spirit, and a deep sense of patriotism. And my family, my amazing wife and two boys. Summer is already off to an amazing start, and that's because I've got you guys. Most of all, my deepest thanks to you for tuning in again. If you dig this show, please tell your friends to check it out. If you're on an Apple device and you like the show, please leave a quick review. And remember, it's okay to be angry. And no, you're not alone. We're all a little angry. And that's because we're paying attention. And together, we can turn that vigilant anger into positive impact. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America. America.